Welcome to I'm So Obsessed, where we talk with actors, artists, and creators about their work, career, and current obsession. I'm your host, Patrick Holland, and today my guest is... Yeah, okay, look, this just feels silly listing her work because you know her. She has four Emmy Awards, a Golden Globe Award, three Screen Actor Guilds Awards, and she's been nominated for an Academy Award and two Grammys. She's been in shows like Desperate Housewives, St. Elsewhere, and True Blood, as well as films like 12 Years a Slave, The Lion King Remake, and you can now see her on the Apple TV Plus show, See. I'm proud to welcome Alfrey Woodard to I'm So Obsessed. And ooh, just wait until you hear what she's obsessed with. This interview was recorded in August over the internet, so please forgive any audio weirdness. Okay, so obviously we're here to talk about uh, a, a little show, this little tiny show on Apple TV Plus called C. Um, and uh, we're get, you guys are getting ready to go into season two. What can you tell me, uh, or what can people expect to see in season two? Well, um, first of all, I hope everybody, if you have not seen season one, oh, you must just like devour it and it's easily devoured. And if you have seen it, you might want to see it again, just like as a running, you know how the plane has to get up, get up, get up to speed, and then it just lifts off. We lift off so with such activity, just action in season two. It is, okay, so Dave Bautista joins us. There you go already. Are you going to have two bigger, <laughs> handsome, more vicious guys than Momoa and Bautista? I don't think so. And they, they just, they, they clash right off. This is, um, this season, we focus, the focus goes in uh, a shorter range. Before we were in the wilderness, uh, there were tribes, the hidden tribes, we were the alchemy, but there was a lot of, the landscape played a lot into uh, survival and telling the story of how we got there as human beings. Now the, the, we get more of an ECU, extreme close-up of the people there. The alchemy have been destroyed. So many um, of the tribes have been destroyed. And so we, leave, we find our group, Baba Voss, uh, uh, Hera, not Hera, <laughs> Amagra, <laughs> Uh, all of the main core, uh, eight or nine of us. And then we pick up a couple more characters along the way. And it's about the relationships and especially family. Uh, Bautista, he plays Ido Voss, Baba Voss's brother. And there is a thick, thick, thick ass story in that family. And it gets all played out. And then, you know, oh my God, and Baba's you know, Haniwa and Kofun, his children with Hera, but they're really Gerla Morel's seed and all of that. And everybody is, uh, the past, everyone's past is really opening right up, coming back up on them. And um, it, is, um, it is epic and at the same time, very familiar because it is familial. But it is so much, I'm gonna tell you, for my taste, it's a little too much, it's too many heads flying. Let me just say that. <laughs> <laughs> I have, but I know when it's coming, so I squint a little, but it's, it's, it's the heads fly righteously. I mean, it's not, 
<laughs> well, I say you've done so much work. Are you not desensitized to that kind of thing even to this point still? Or is it it's still like, even though you know it's like choreography and special effects that do some of those things? Oh, I, I scream all the time. <laughs> Francis Lawrence showed me just a, on a little tiny screen, a playback of the first slaver fight in, in season one. And I started crying and I, it upset me and it took me an hour to get over it. He was just trying to show me the stunt. It was like, <laughs> no, I, I am your, I am America. I, I see things, I'm a movie person. I, I go to, I watch something I'm in and I, 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 I look with a critical eye when I am shooting, but when I watch a film, I watch it as, as a regular person, an audience, a, a, a movie lover. So yes, I cry, I scream, I laugh too loud. I do not talk while a film is on. Are you a, are you a watch a film on a phone person? Hell no, no. My children would watch Lawrence of Arabia on a cell phone. They, they haven't, they've watched this many times. They watch the Lord of Rings on a cell phone. I'm um, just, just want to see it again. So I'm looking right now, but so that, that shows my generational uh, taste. <laughs> but um, at least it's Lawrence of Arabia though. I mean, that's, you know. See, I good. like when you go to the movies, this is really telling, but I like a cinema parody difference where you watch and you, your eyes have to go back and forth like a tennis match because you're in a dark theater and the screen is large and you know you stepped in to step into that world. I mean, I know people now that have television screens is where the person uh, is as big as the person you are in the room. That's creepy to have a private room that big. <laughs> yeah, I'm more of a theater guy myself. Like, uh, especially uh, I lived in Chicago a long time. They had the music box there and they would show 70 millimeter films and it, you would just, you couldn't even, your eyesight could not take in the entire width of the, the, the screen. So your head's like turning. <laughs> um, I want to ask you, this is probably the most important question I'm going to ask you. Who is a better big guy hugger, Jason or Dave Bautista? Well, you know, I would like a like a Momoa Batista sandwich on me <laughs> because you know Jason is he's got like he's got this big kind of thing around the top and and he'll pick you up while he's wrapped you up just kind of shake you bounce you up and down and, uh, you know he's got more of that kind of that football built uh, you know where he's you know he can get you around the waist and and you you know. You can wrap your legs around the bottom of them. So I think uh, I think you just make a, a like a like a spring roll out of me. Just roll me up in Batista Momoa. I'm a, 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 a Momoa Batista what a, a spring roll. I think would be very popular. But I it. did. I, you know, I'm so used to hitting Jason all the time out of love uh, that. When they, I was excited, they said, oh, J Dave Bautista's here. I never met him. And I just walked right up to him and I said, Dave. And I slugged him in both biceps with my fist. And I went, oh, God, I'm so sorry. And, and then I hugged him. Of course, this is pre-COVID. But, but you, know, you can't hurt either of them. And 
and I just, <laughs> if somebody's ripped, I express my love by, by punching them. You were a Girl Scout growing up, and I'm curious, did any of those skills help you for the show, C? No, my Girl Scouting, well, maybe, I love the outdoors because of Girl Scouting. I mean, I was a scout for probably 10 years of my life. I know how to treat a snake bite. I know how to dig a latrine, bake a cake or a, a piece of meat underground, like bury it in, let it cook all day. So I love the outdoors. And, you know, actually before this, I prayed for an adventure. I said, oh, I don't want to be a cop. I don't want to be a doctor. I don't want to be in court. And I don't want to be anybody's grandmother. I need adventure. So I put that out in the atmosphere, in the universe. And then I got a call for C and it was like, hell yeah. When I got there, <laughs> it was like, it was crazy. It's like the military. Once you sign up to be on a show, it doesn't matter what happens. You can't leave. They can wake your butt up at two o'clock in the morning and you have to just wake up bleeding from the ears and they just wipe it off and say, come on, come on, let's go. <laughs> put, that um, in, put that in the wilderness and it doesn't matter whether it's snowing, raining, mud, whether there's locusts and heat, you just got to do it. And when you're walking across virgin forests and wilderness, and you just have to deal with it. So uh, I, think, I think my love of the outdoors was, was the thing that took me through it because we, we get pretty, pretty friggin' banged up. And then um, I want to ask you about a very specific moment in the first episode of season two. I'll describe it like this. You and another character are walking through a bouldery, snowy pass, and you're stopped by some guards. And to see if the guard is actually speaking the truth, you give them this embrace where you put your hand kind of on his, on his uh, chest and maybe your hand on his back. Mm -hmm. um, could you tell me how did you approach that moment and who came up with that physicality? I came up with that physicality because uh, when we first started, before season one, we did a lot of work in, in blindness, in tribalism, building what identified our tribes. And in that post-apocalyptic world, people have, without sight, different senses are awakened. And some people, like in all other situations some people have more of particular gifts than others and so um so she is a seer and she and a lot of other things so she can she could put her hands on him and divine i decided put her hands on him but rather than just like you know doing psychic friends network or something <laughs> <That's clear. laughs> but because they're very they're very physical people and, and, and by touch, touch tells you so much, even right now for us. So, so I decided if, if I was gonna get that feeling from him, I would get it from inside his person. So you, I put it at his sternum, uh, where is a, a lot of our, you know, a lot of the sort of healing cultures say that, you know, if there is a soul, it is centered somewhere there, but that you can feel that person's nervous system. So uh, I just did it. 
I just came well, up with it. You know, once you establish your character and your world and, and certain things are taken away, when I, when I walk away from C, I don't look at people when I talk to them. Uh, it takes me mm. months to stop to not do that. I, I can echolocate now. I do a lot more of that than I, I never echolocated before. And in, when I spoke to people and I listened, I always, some people listen by looking in a person's eyes. I listen to a person by watching their mouths. I have hyper hearing, I can hear, but there was something about the way their mouths moved that made me understand them more. So it's very interesting that th when I stopped looking at friends and relatives, they thought I wasn't paying attention to them. I'd say, what is echolocate? I don't think I've heard that term before. Um, you can tell the distance you are from something or somebody by how sound bounces off of it. So oh. you can tell how what kind of room you're in, what kind of space you're in. If I and I can hear how it bounces in the off a wall. If I'm walking along, or you know, you can use a, a stick, a staff, whatever. If you are, have um, low vision and you, uh, but echolocating is. And you hear how it comes back, how it bounces. You can tell how if there's rock around you and all kinds of things. So you locate by the echo. I'd say it sounds like you have a police car doing some echo locating behind <laughs> you. <laughs> echo locating um, all over New York. All over, yeah. Probably if you hear it coming this way, you know what's going on. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So the name of our podcast is called I'm So Obsessed. What are you currently obsessed about? I'm obsessed about fresh produce. Uh, fresh produce versus I'm assuming like uh, you're talking like farmer's market produce or something coming right on the ground versus something that's been in the store for a while. What is the, what is the difference there for you? Well, and, and I feel bad for people that don't live where there's good produce, but being a Californian, uh, you just, you we get pro we just get things we're closer to farms like I know the guy that makes the butter that I get at the farmer's market and that kind of thing and it's the taste and country people know this if you live in the country I you once you have something that's that's come out of the ground recently has been churned recently it's like a new taste like if you give a baby something like ice cream they can't, their mouth goes Ugh. You don't see, but it's like the face lights up like, whoa, but right now it's tomato season and you have to eat as many tomatoes as you can because they will not taste like a tomato after Labor Day. And, you know, you can try to have them flown in, but usually they're picked somewhere else and they got to pick them a little early so they get to you that time. So that's what I mean. And I like the taste of, you can taste the earth and things if you, have a carrot that's been pulled up. Now, all that said, 
people love, they live, they have great lives without fresh produce. And yeah, I, we're doing okay. I don't have to, I have to, because I work a lot, I, I work around the country and there's out of the country in places that have winter and all those kind of things. And so what I do, if you can't get fresh, the next best thing is get fresh frozen because they were mm-hmm. cold at the, the height of the season. I see, so you shouldn't have asked me this. They're no, this is fresh. fascinating. And I'm really hungry because it's like not quite lunchtime, but it's getting but, close to yeah, it. You know, <laughs> the thing is I cook, I cook a lot. I cook very well. And I'm known in my family and my friend circle as being the cook. Uh, so that's why, but I'm not obsessed with it, but I am obsessed with, with giving people fresh produce and, and eating it myself. And the less you mess around with food so that people can taste what it actually tastes like instead of you mm. saucing and spicing and putzing around with it. You know, I, I, like, I like the taste that the earth can give us back when we treat it well. I don't think I've ever interviewed anyone who's had a prolific, um, as uh, as prolific a body of work as you. And I'm curious, even if I asked you how many movies you've been in, do you even know? I've been told, see, I don't really separate movies, films and TV series and movies and things. So I've, some somewhere over 140. <laughs> and you remember each one? <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, a couple I don't want to remember, but I do mm-hmm. remember those. There's maybe only two of those, but. I was gonna say, Alfred, you got your start in theater at the arena stage in DC. And I'm curious if you could go back in time, you right now could go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice back then, what would it be? Well, <clears throat> back then when I left Tulsa to go train at BU, it was to, I was gonna do film. That was always the intention because that was my orientation uh, into acting, was seeing films and being a film buff. Um, So uh, I wouldn't count any advice I give myself for the first few years because you're just like, you know, you've been in school your whole life since kindergarten and then and then you, you know, we start to learn for the sake of learning when you're elementary, middle school, it gets competitive. Well, oh, we're supposed to get good grades. Okay, so I'll try to do that. You do that along with sports. Then I discovered that I was an artist and, and, and that I wanted to make it a lifestyle and something I could depend on. So that's how I ended up going to BU to train. I got there and the training was all for the stage, but it was very, it was an environment uh, creatively and intellectually I wanted to be in. And then after I finished, it was, okay, now why did I, why did I do all this? That's when you have to make your training real, make it practical, turn it into your, your, your craft rather than you're studying something. And it becomes, how do I, how do I get to tell the stories I want to tell, especially in a business that says you as a woman, and you as really the kind of woman we really don't want to see, how do I still get from this business? How do I get to my audience? But back then there were moguls and gates and you, you, you know, it was just like breaking into 
you know, the Pentagon to try to get in the business. <laughs> so, so that's when I needed advice. And that advice is whatever you were told by a person when you were young that you felt was true, hold on to that because it will remain true. And instinctively, you know, when you've heard the truth and that's the only thing, because everything around you says no, no, no. And no, especially to you. I don't know how people do it when they haven't had parents or teachers or somebody to say to them, you have something of value that you need to bring into the world. Then I, I don't know how they sustain themselves early on in our business, but I would say just whatever is in your way, it's not true. It's not real. You know, people love to say that to children, to young adults, to each other. Um, I don't know why we don't encourage other people's uh, aspirations. You know, it, it, I, I, I'm like, uh, there's a million emotions going on, but I, I started in theater and I'm a character actor. I've been labeled that since I was like, 16 and wow. I remember uh, I got to intern at Milwaukee Repertory Theaters in my like early 20s and one of the most amazing actresses there who had a like a long career uh Rose Pickering took me aside it's like you know you're going to be so big when you're in your 40s you're going to work so much uh but you're not going to work a lot till then and you know I think what she was trying to tell me um was that hey uh this is the reality of this business and I just thought that's something you accepted I don't think she meant um, anything negative necessarily. I think sometimes people do, but it is, it's, it messes with your head like that, right? Well, it depends on, again, who raised you. And if, 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 uh, you know, I was the kind of kid that, um, uh, I, I wasn't like a, like an obvious kid where they go like, Ooh, she is special. She's something. So, <laughs> <laughs> but so, but my mother said that I was, <laughs> and my father said that I was. So that's all, in, you know, and then of course, when they tell you, you're like, oh, of course you say it because you're my mom. <laughs> but when, you know, when other people are saying, you know, I don't know, I don't think you need this job. I don't think you're the right person. Then you don't take it personally because somebody told you that you did have something special. So you don't take it personally like, oh my God, I didn't get that job from that guy. Well, obviously it was that guy's, that's the way that guy looks at the world. And that's his, that's his thing. It's not mine, so I'm not gonna take it on. And, and so you live pretty much, uh, it gives you a freedom because you're not even pissed at people. <laughs> but do you, do you think some of that comes with age too? Because I feel like, I feel as I've gotten older, I'm like, um, I'll swear on my podcast, like fuck them, you know, like fuck that, you know, right? It's like, I know oh. what I'm doing. Well, I knew how to say that when I was <laughs> my, my mama told me that, you know. So, um, yeah, but the thing is, I think it's just, it, 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 it really makes me smile to know that the things that were said to me, my father would say to me, he goes, um, you know, people only, you just declare yourself in the world. Because whoever says, I'm the master builder, everybody will start to say, you know, Patrick's the master builder. <laughs> Whatever you want to be, declare it and stand for it. You guys, you can learn it as you go.
I'd like to do something where I can name a film or TV show you, you, you've done. And I would love just to get your first reaction, your, the first thing that comes to mind. Um, so uh, here, I'm just going to name a few. So the first one, Clemency. You don't see what I'm doing. It is, I'm crushing in on myself. I would say uh, intense isolation. Okay, next one. Um, Nelson Mandela's favorite African folktales. <laughs> uh, Jubilation Dance. Uh, why did you laugh at that, by the way? Because as soon as you said Nelson, and I didn't get out Mandela, mm -hmm. I just started grinning and put my hands out up to the sky. All right, next one, L.A. Law. Blair Underwood. St. Elsewhere. Tom Fontana. True Blood. Nelson. 12 Years a Slave. Steve. I, I do a thing called Pick One, where I give you a couple suggestions and you pick one, it doesn't mean that one's better than the other. So I'd like to play pick one with you. Okay. All right, so first one I have, I'm really curious about this. Pick one, theater, film, TV, or voiceover? Film, because that's my love. Uh, film is, I like the process more than the actual presentation. And, and film is like being in a constant rehearsal because you, keep to, you get to get refining with every take. I like that. Okay, here's one where you're not, uh, well, you're an actor, but you also produce, so pick one, No Small Matter or Clemency. I have to say Clemency uh, because lives are in the balance mm. when we deal with, with uh, our relationship to capital punishment. Uh, uh, no Small Matter, lives are beginning and there's, everybody has little beginning lives around them. So it'll be easier to get people focused on that. Okay, so I just met you. It's the first time we've talked, but I think we're having a friendly conversation. Would you agree? <laughs> I'm setting this up and you'll see why. Yes, um, yes, I'll agree. Okay, so the answer you give to this next one is very important. And I realize the other person I'm going to say, you probably know a little bit better, but pick one, Mike Coulter or Patrick Holland. It's very important who you pick on this because there'll be a text going back and forth between me and Mike about uh, who the answer is. You know what? Patrick Holland is my favorite as well as Mike Coulter's favorite. Well, I would say that's the wrong answer. <laughs> no, but uh, you got to work on Luke Cage and you got to work with Mike. Mike and I studied theater together a long time ago. Did you? But, uh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and actually, we, I just, he was on the podcast not too long ago and we're catching up. But I'm curious because uh, that little gem of a show is, I just rewatched it for that interview. I think it, it's more relevant even now what uh, um, what the style of the show was and what the, the framing of the show was than it was even when it came out. But when you think back on that time on Luke Cage, what does it mean to you? Oh man, I that was such a sweet spot. That was a sweet spot. Uh, all of the actors that, that that came through there came together. We're all so disparate, but we're all so, when we met each other, we were like cousins that just had come finally to the family reunion. And Cheo Hadori Coker mm. just laid this, you know, beautiful spread and playing field for us. But uh, that was that was really fine. It was, yeah, I, I'm, I'm shaking my head trying to think of how to typify it, but I felt like it was like I hadn't really met my family. And I feel family, I make family like C, oh God. My C family is thick. 
but I make family where a lot of times when I work, but, but the, the um, Luke Cage family was like your DNA and DNA family. It was, it was deep. This has been such a pleasure and it has really just made my day getting to talk with you. Thank you so much. You as well, Patrick, I appreciate you. I want to thank Alfred for chatting with me, and I want to thank you for listening. You can watch Season 1 and 2 of C on Apple TV+. Please take a moment and subscribe to I'm So Obsessed on your favorite podcast app. And if you really like this episode, please rate it. Until next time, take care.